point, and he's driven down on it because the human heart needs to have this driven down. We need to know that we are sinners in need of God's grace, and we need to know that God's grace is full and complete in Jesus. There is nothing for us to add to it. We need to know that it comes to us by the instrument of faith alone and not by works, not by merit, not by anything that we could add to it. And so he is wrapping it all up in these verses right here. And he's taking all of this as he's been going through and talking about Abraham and demonstrating this is the same gospel that it was in the Old Testament. He's bringing it home to us today. And he's saying, look, sinner, this is for you. You, right here. This is not something that's far away. This is for you. We all have a tendency to think that things far away from us are irrelevant to us. And in a way, you kind of have to have that tendency because if you felt that everything that you ever heard about in the world was immediately relevant to your daily life, then you'd just go insane trying to sort through what to worry about, right? But sometimes things that are far away, they, they come and they hit home. And we know this. Think back in American history, back in the 1930s and into 1940 and 41, uh, America was looking at the world and saying, you know, what's going on with this world war? That's something far off, but we're just going to keep our hands off of it. We're going to stay neutral. Well, that worked until the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and Hitler declared war on the United States. And then all of a sudden, boy, that came home, didn't it? Well, what, what about terrorism? I don't know if you remember a time, I remember a time, most of you probably remember a time when it seemed like Islamic terrorism was something that was just this, this far off across the world problem that you'd hear about on the news every once in a while. But boy, did that come home on 9-11. We realized, hey, this is something that can hit right here. I think we all remember that there used to be a day when we would hear about these viruses that would pop up on the other side of the world. Every few years, you, you'd hear about this on the news, and you'd think, well, that's something over there. And then all of a sudden, in March 2020, our whole country got shut down, and we said, wait a second, maybe we have to pay attention to this a little bit. Well, people can really distance themselves. It's easy to distance yourself from something that's far off, but then you have to realize sometimes those things are relevant. They come home. And maybe you have thought about the Old Testament in this way that it's far off and irrelevant. Maybe you've thought about the whole Bible in this way that it's far off and irrelevant. That's a common way for the world to think about this. This is an ancient book. It was written thousands of years ago by people in a completely different culture in a completely different part of the world. Well, how could that possibly apply to me? Well, that's exactly what the Bible right here is getting at, is to say, look, this comes home to you personally. This is not just for Abraham all of those thousands of years ago in that far-off place with that strange language that he was speaking, in that strange culture that if we were dropped right there right now, we would say, what is going on? It's not just for him. This is for you. He's bringing it home. And it's eternally relevant. It's not just relevant for your daily life. It is eternally relevant for your soul. So let's look at this. Verse 23, we have these ancient words that are for us who believe. It says this, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. This is 
or let's just read a little bit of verse 24 also. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. It was counted to him, and these words are not for him alone, but for us also. This is actually the third time within just this one chapter, chapter 4, that Paul uses this not only but also language. He used it back in verse 12 when he was talking about, well, well is, is the gospel just for those who are circumcised? Is, is it being a, a child of Abraham just for those who are physically the descendants of Abraham? And he says, well, no, this is not only for those who are circumcised. It's also for those who walk by the faith of Abraham. He's bringing it home. He's saying, you need to have the faith of Abraham to be a child of Abraham. And then in verse 16, he brings it home again. He says that, that this, this, uh, this promise to Abraham is not only for the adherence of the law, but to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. If we want to be offspring of Abraham, if we want to have the promises that came to Abraham, we need to have the faith of Abraham. And he's doing the same thing here right now. And he's turning it around and he's saying this has to do with the words that were spoken to Abraham. The words, it was counted to him, not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. That's you and me. That's right now. What does it mean when it says it was counted to him? Well, it is righteousness. And was counted, you could say was reckoned, was imputed, was put into his column on the accounting list in God's book, Righteousness was counted to Abraham upon believing by the instrument of his faith. It was counted to him. Well, who counted it to him? This is is grammatically, those of you who really like grammar, right? I see Katrina nodding. She's so excited. This is a passive where where you don't have the, the, the doer of the counting named explicitly, but it's what we call a divine passive. It's built in that God is the one who is the doing the doing. God is the one who is doing the counting. It, it, when it says, it was counted to him, it's saying, God counted righteousness to Abraham by faith alone. Apart from works, apart from the law, apart from circumcision, it was by God's grace alone, through faith alone. But it's not only for Abraham. It's not just for this guy 3,500 years ago. This was personally intended for us who would believe. That's what it says. This has some implications here for the ways that we think about the Scriptures. These words that are in the Bible are not just words that some spiritual guy somewhere wrote because he felt really inspired to say something spiritual. What we see here in the way that the Bible is talking about another part of the Bible is, is that this book views itself as the Word of God, the eternal Word of God that is relevant to all people in all places of all times. Now, we have in the Bible, we, we have, it is this, this great big book. You know, you pick it up, and, and it's pretty hefty, and you could literally beat somebody over the head with it, and that would, that would not be a nice thing to do. But it, why is it so big? Well, it's because God, God gave it to us through over 40 men who were writing over a period of about 1,500 years on three different continents, 
in, in three different languages. And, and if you heard about any other set of writings that was like that, you would think, well, that, that must be just a very, very jumbled mess. How, how could anything come together like that? But what we have here is a unified whole with not ultimately not 40-plus authors, but with ultimately one author. This is the word of God breathed out to us by the Holy Spirit. And the way that it's viewing itself here, the way that the Bible is speaking of the Bible, it says these words back in Genesis 15, 6, the words that were written down by Moses, probably written down in Abraham's day as well, just from the way that it says it here, the words that was counted to him were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. Do you hear that? Those thousands of years ago, when the words of Genesis 15, 6 were written down, God had you on his mind, personally. When you open up your Bible and you see the words that are there, God had you on his mind personally when he breathed out these words. Every word of Scripture is personally relevant to you. We know that because it says this in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. And these words in particular are here to tell us this. It was counted to him, and it will be counted also to you who believe. What we need to do then is when we open up our Bibles, when we study the words of Scripture, when we study the doctrines of Scripture that these words come together to teach us, we need to hear it, and we need to apply it. We need to be hearers of the word, and we need to be doers of the word. You might say heart appliers of the word. There, there's two common ways of separating yourself out from the words of Scripture and the personal impact of the words of Scripture. And at different times, you may have been guilty of both of these. One that's very common is, is where you want to look at your practical personal life and you want to say, okay, what's going on with me here and now this week? This is what's really relevant to me. And these, these ideas of these, these doctrines, they just seem so abstract that, that when I would open up and find out, you know, what did God do with Abraham thousands of years ago? Well, I mean, okay, sure, that's fine, but I've got to raise my kids this week. Come on, give, give me something that really applies practically to me this week. Now, the Bible certainly does give us lots of principles about raising your kids. It really does. But when we start to look at the Bible in those ways, we, we, you know what you're really saying to God? You're saying, God, you wrote the wrong book for me. What I really, really need instead of this book is just a practical self-help book. Well, again, yeah, there's practical self-help stuff in the Bible. There really is. It really will help you with your practical daily life. But we, we also have to pick this up and say, God knows exactly who I am. God knows exactly what I'd be going through. And he breathed out every word personally with me in mind. It was not written for Abraham's sake only, but also for us who would believe. 
We have to take the words of Scripture and the doctrines that are contained in Scripture and say, this actually is relevant to me right now, right where I am, right what I'm going through. A second way to distance yourself from Scripture is to do the opposite, where you would say to yourself, well, I'm not one of those people who's just looking for practical self-help advice. I'm one of those people who digs down deep into the doctrine. I'm one of those people who's going to impress my pastor. I'm going, to, I'm going to email him the most theologically convoluted question that he has ever heard, and he will be so impressed. And then to take that, that sort of a, a, an academic view of doctrine, and not to apply it to your own heart. It, it, it's another way to just say, well, I'm not going to let it actually penetrate me and affect me. I'm going to have the doctrines right, but I'm going to keep them over here, separate from my heart, separate from my life. The way James said said it is that we need to be hearers of the word, but not hearers only, but also doers of the word, right? So those who would say, well, I I need something better that's just really for my, my practical life, that's a failure to be a hearer of the word, You really do need these things that are taught in Scripture. God intends them for you, believer. And we need to be not hearers only. You could be very impressive in your hearing of the Word to where you can win Internet debates about doctrine and even be actually right, and yet never take that and apply it to your own heart and life and to be a doer of the Word also. Both of those things are so important. Both of those things are so, so important. Let's give you an example. I've said a few times over the last several weeks that, that we, we are saved by God's grace alone and that this is applied to us, God's grace is applied to us by the instrument of faith alone. We are not saved on the basis of our faith, We are saved on the basis of God's grace, and it is applied to us through the instrument of faith. Now, when you hear that, those of you who are are saying, well, I just want something practical for my life today, you could hear that, and you could just say, well, that's just a jumble of words that doesn't tell me how to raise my kids this week, and just walk away from it, and not realize the incredible grace that God is pouring out for you this week in your raising of your kids and in your tuning of your heart toward the grace of God that you could then pour out to your your children also. I mean, it applies in a hundred ways. Or, on the other hand, you could say, wow, I love the way the pastor just said that, and that is going to let me win that internet debate. And then just go about your life like a pagan. Guys, these truths are good, and they are for us. I'm spending too much time on this verse right now. I've got to keep, keep going. But guys, the words that are in Scripture, they were not written just for somebody far off. They are for you personally, right now, where you are. You need to hear them. You need to go deep. And you need to apply them to your own heart and to your own life because it was not written for Abraham's sake alone, but also for ours. And... What is it? What is it these these ancient words are teaching? Well, in particular, these words here are that righteousness was counted to Abraham and righteousness would be counted to us right now, right here, who believe 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 24, it, it is for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe. Now I want you to hear right up front, it does not say that God's righteousness will be counted to everyone. It does not say here that everyone will be called a child of God in eternity. It does not say here that love wins in the sense of God not condemning anyone to hell. What it says is this. It says that it will be counted to us who believe. It is though, it's those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who will be reckoned, imputed as righteous in the sight of God. We will stand before God in the day of judgment. And while there may be other people in that crowd who would come before God and say, but I did this and I did that. When did I ever not clothe you when you were naked, Jesus? When did I ever not feed you? They'll hear, depart from me, I never knew you. But for us who believe, the righteousness of Jesus Christ covers our sins. Hear that? It will be counted to you who believe. This is not on the basis of works or of the law or of being good enough, having some kind of a merit. This is on the basis of God's grace applied to us through faith alone in Christ alone. It will be counted to us who believe. That believing, the way it's spoken of there, is not just a one-time thing. He's not saying it will be counted to those who at one point in their life professed faith in Jesus. It's not saying it will be that God's righteousness will be counted to those who at some point in their life felt sincere. It's saying it will be counted to us who believe. That's a genuine faith, a faith that doesn't disappear. A faith that continues by the grace of the Holy Spirit to persevere us and to keep us in that faith all the way to the end. It is a faith, it says, that is in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. This faith is directed to God. It is a faith that is in the same God that Abraham believed. And that same God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. This is a faith that involves believing in God. It's a faith that involves believing that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day. That's the heart of the gospel. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, I delivered to you as of first importance. You hear that? The Bible says right here, here is the number one most important thing in the Bible for you to know. First importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It is essential that we put our faith in God in a believing upon the Lord Jesus as the one who died for our sins and on the third day was raised from the dead. It involves a believing that this was a work of God when Jesus rose from the dead. It said, in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I think you have, because I think I've talked about it. So I hope you thought about it. Maybe you listened. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, God raised Jesus from the dead. And the, the primary way that this is spoken of in the Scriptures is that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. As it says in Galatians 1.1, God the Father raised him from the dead. 
And the Bible also says that God the Son raised himself from the dead. This is John 2.19. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He says two verses later he was speaking about the temple of his body. He said, I will raise it up. And God the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. This was back in Romans 1.4. Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. God, our triune God, three in one, raised Jesus from the dead. And this is saying right here, this is the same God as the God of Abraham. This is not a different God. This is not some morphing of God from back in those days to now, well, a triune God. This is the same God as he has always been, progressively revealed to us more and more to understand him more and more throughout Scripture as it was unfolded. This is the God of Abraham, the one who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. And you notice that? He doesn't flinch. The Bible does not flinch when it says that we need to have the faith of Abraham, in the God of Abraham, that Jesus is Lord. He's saying right there, Jesus is the God of Abraham. I don't know if you catch that. If you think I'm stretching it, let me tell you where Jesus says that he's the God of Abraham. John chapter 8, verse 56, he, he was saying to the Pharisees, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not, 50, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Those words, I am. He is calling himself the great I am, Yahweh. And he is saying, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I am the God of Abraham. I am the one that Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so as we come and as we would have it counted to us also, as we would have this hit home, if we want to have our sins forgiven, if we want to have eternal life, we come to God in faith in Jesus our Lord, to God who raised Jesus from the dead. And we, when we do that, we submit to Jesus in faith, and we, we would look to Jesus and we stand forgiven at the cross justify, counted to us as righteousness. So we have ancient words that are for us who believe. We have righteousness that is counted to us who believe. And we have Christ who is crucified and risen for us who believe. Look at verse 25. You still have your Bibles open? Good. Verse 25. Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, there's a lot of people who study the book of Romans before who think that verse 25 might be something that, that was a quotation that Paul was drawing from. Uh, and that's possible. This might actually be something from kind of, kind of like an early confession of faith of the church. Or it might be something from an early hymn of the church. We don't really know, but here we have it breathed out by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. And so, regardless of where exactly is the origin of these words in Paul's mind, well, it is the word of God to us that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. He was delivered up. What's that talking about? Well, it's talking about that Jesus 
was handed over to be put on a show trial to be executed. An innocent man to be given over to death. This is what Jesus said would happen to him. Matthew 28, 20, verse 18. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. He said, this is exactly what's going to happen to me. I'm going to get delivered over. And he says here, he was delivered up for our trespasses. I'm going to ask some questions. Who was it that delivered Jesus up? The the word here, it almost has a sense of betrayal to it. Giving someone over to something that they don't deserve. Was it Judas who did this? Judas is the one who, who came to the Sanhedrin and got his 30 pieces of silver so that he can go and give that kiss of betrayal to Jesus? Or was, was it the Sanhedrin who delivered Jesus up? Because after they had their show trial, they handed him over to Pilate for another show trial. They had their religious trial first and then the civil trial second. Maybe it was Pilate who delivered him up. Because remember when Pilate tried to claim that it wasn't his fault, that he was going to wash his hands? give it over to the crowd and just let them have their way as they were shouting, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Maybe it was the crowd that gave Jesus up. All of those people who were were shouting, we have no king but Caesar, crucify him. Who was it that delivered him up? Well, in some sense, it was all of those people. It was all of those groups of people, all of those individuals. But again here, we've got our grammar You know what it has here? It's got that passive voice again. It doesn't say who delivered him up, but it's built in that this was God. This is a divine passive. God delivered up Jesus. God did it. He already said this back in chapter 3, verse 24, where he said, Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. God put forward his own son to be killed for our sins. It says in Acts 4, verse 27, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You hear that? It was all of those groups of people, but it was ultimately God whose plan it was. God, the Father, delivered up God the Son. It says in Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. You know why God did this? Because he loved us. That's what it says in in, in the next chapter that we're coming to, that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing, isn't it? He has set his love on us from before the foundation of the world, sent his son to be the redeemer in time and space and history, delivered him up for our trespasses. And that's what, why it happened. It says, here, here's the reason, for our trespasses. Hey, I want to, do you, do you feel guilty today? Now, it's possible to feel guilty when you're not guilty. And it's possible to not feel guilty when you actually are guilty. But, but I just I want you to think through this. 
do you stand before God today? If you were standing before God, would there be things in your life that he could point out, this is not right, this is not right, this is not right? Some of you here would say, obviously. Some of you would here would say, I am crushed by the thoughts of that every day. Some of you would say, every night when I lay my head on the pillow, it just runs through my head all of the ways that I fall short. Others of you would say, no, I feel pretty good about myself. Don't, don't do that. Don't feel pretty good about yourself. Feel pretty good about Jesus, whose righteousness would cover our sins, whose death, whose blood pays it all. Jesus paid it all because it says he was delivered up for our trespasses. Guys, the breaking of the law. The breaking of the law to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength by having no other gods before him, by not making a graven image and bowing down to it and making up your own forms of worship, by not taking the Lord's name in vain, by not keeping the Sabbath holy. These, these things that God has commanded and set apart for godliness. These other things of the breaking of the law of having to do with honor your father and your mother and all of those that God would put in authority over us in their proper roles and rebelling against those authorities. The, 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 the command not to murder that comes down to, to the, the sin in the heart that, that those things would flow out of. The, the command not to commit adultery, to have a, a mind that is set on purity and not on impurity. The command not to steal. The command not to bear false witness against our neighbor, which is not just about lying. It has to do with using our words in a way that would properly love our neighbor. The command not to... to uh, not to... to uh, have hearts that would go after other things, to covet what is not ours that God hasn't given us. Guys, all these things, it's just a summary. I can't sum it up right here, but here's how it's summed up back in chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? Doesn't matter whether you are Hitler himself. Doesn't matter whether you are John the Baptist, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here is good news. Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses. Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses. Whose trespasses? This is our trespasses. Who is our? Well, he said back in verse 24, us who believe in him. He was delivered up for our trespasses, us who believe and all who would ever believe. Same God who grants faith is the same one who predestined us, who elected us from eternity past, who sent his son Jesus to die specifically for us, who gave the Holy Spirit to to call us and regenerate us. It is from first to last for our trespasses. He did it. He did it for us. He said in Isaiah 49, 16, I have... I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. He knows us. This is personal. Just as his words all the way back in Genesis Genesis 15, they were for us. Jesus' death on the cross was for us. He knew his sheep. He knew us. He laid down his life for his sheep. It's personal and it's good.
and it's love. He, he has, according to Revelation, it's, it's for those whose names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. He was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah 53. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. He was delivered up for our trespasses. Now I have to, I have to say, some of you are saying, well, is that me? Is that me or not? Was he delivered up for my trespasses? Here's how you know. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's John 3.16b. I'll read the whole verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you believe or if you will believe you know that Jesus was delivered up for your trespasses. Sometimes we don't have to worry so much about how it was all done in eternity past and, and exactly all the things behind the scenes that God has actually not told us as many details as wish, we wish we had. But here's what we know. If you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved because you will know that Jesus died for your sins. And was raised, he says, for your justification. Raised for our justification. Guys, this is another divine passive. This is one of these things. Who raised him? God raised him. He already said that. God who raised him from the dead. It says in, in, in Acts 2 that this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Can you imagine what a terrifying truth the resurrection was to the people who crucified Jesus? They were trying to prove this guy is not the Christ. Look, he's dead. And then do you know what God did? He raised him from the dead. <laughs> what an incredible testimony to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lord. Death could not hold him. And what it says right here is that he was raised for our justification. Now, obviously, we needed Jesus to die for our sins, to be the propitiation for our sins, the perfect sacrifice in our place for our sins in his death. But you need to know this too, believer. If Jesus had stayed dead, you would be dead too. You would be dead in your sins. You would have no forgiveness of sins. Whatever we're doing here right now, according to 1 Corinthians 15, would be in vain. You would have believed in vain. None of this would have any point. 1 Corinthians 15 says that if the dead are not raised, then let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. He's saying if Jesus weren't raised from the dead, what in the world are we doing in this room every Sunday? Let's go party, because this life is all we have. But in fact, Christ has been raised, it says. Jesus not only died for our sins, he rose from the dead. He proved that he had completed the work of paying for our sins. And he continued to be our Savior, and he's continuing to be our Savior right now. I don't know how often you think of this, but, but Jesus' work to redeem us, it didn't finish at the cross it didn't finish at the resurrection. It didn't finish even at the ascension. It is ongoing. Now, in one sense, it was finished because Jesus said it is finished. 
But at the same time, it says that right now he is doing a work of redemption. He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Guys, John MacArthur famously said, if you could lose your salvation, you would. But do you know why you don't? Because Christ is raised, and he is still our Savior. The same one who died for our sins is alive for our justification right now. He is still our high priest. He is still sending the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit who preserves us is still proceeding from the Father and the Son to keep us to eternal life. He was crucified, delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Guys, the key word here, the one that I hope you will really take and bring home with you and pray over and meditate on, is the word our. I'm just going to read this again. I I want you to hear where he says the word our. And I want you to realize this is not just about people thousands of years ago. And some of you, you've known this for a long time. You know that the Bible applies to you personally, but apply it personally right now. This is not just far off. This is for you who would believe. The words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Believe upon him. Trust your soul upon him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Jesus died and that he not only died, but that he was raised. Thank you for the gift of justification, not on the basis of what we would do, but on the basis of your grace that comes to us by faith, not in ourselves, but in someone else, in the perfect Savior, the perfect Redeemer, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that everyone who hears this would walk away believing, not just believing in the facts, not just able to articulate them or to argue them, but applying these beautiful truths to our own hearts. God, you have written the right book for us. This is perfectly relevant because you've said that it is. And so, God, I pray that as we take even the words of the Old Testament, I pray that you would use those to build us up, to train us in righteousness. God, I pray that you would grant us just an ever-increasing joy of being counted as righteous before you by the righteousness of Jesus and help us to walk by that faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.